Let's, let's turn to the Lord and look to him for his grace and blessing on our time. Father, we praise you and we thank you and we love you because you've blessed us in so many ways. You've given to us, you minister to us grace, you give what we don't deserve. You're, you're near to us, you comfort us, you strengthen us, you give us your peace, you help us. You guide us, you direct us, you uphold us, you correct us, you admonish us, you rebuke us, and you never give up on us. Father, we're so thankful, so thankful for, so thankful for your love to us. I ask this morning that you would once again speak to us and minister grace and peace to us and help us and teach us, instruct us, do whatever you need to do in us. Lord, you know where we're at. You know, you know where we're coming from. You know what's going on in our minds and our hearts. You know it even better than we know it ourselves. I pray for distractions and all other things that right now, oh Lord, you would, you would settle our hearts and you would speak. Speak to us by the Spirit. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to be picking up where we left off last week in this series of becoming a church on mission. What does that mean? What does it look like? In the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the life and ministry of Jesus. And in his life, God shows us, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is the son who does it right, finally. This is the son who doesn't get off mission, but when he's on mission, look at the way he does it. He does it perfectly. This is the perfect son. The per, the per, you couldn't, there, there's no better son, there's no more obedient son, there's no more delightful son, there's no more awesome son than the Lord Jesus. And he is, he is everything to God the Father. And, and from the beginning of time, he was destined to come, and he was destined to come on this earth and reveal the Father to us, and reveal to us what it means to serve God, what it means, what it looks like to follow him what it looks like to go on mission. And as we looked at the life of Jesus the last couple of weeks, two weeks ago, we, how did, we looked at how does Jesus go about beginning his ministry? What is it that he does? And do you guys all remember, like the first initial thing we looked at is that he begins by ministering to the needs of the people around him. And there's no, there's no qualification. He just ministers to everybody. He says, anybody and everyone, he healed all diseases, whether it was blindness or their deaf or their paralytics or their demon possessed or whatever, he heals them. He brings healing and restoration. And we looked at how, you know, this is so pivotal and fundamental in, in, in our going on mission is to go out and bring healing, bring this, bring this power, this love, this goodness of the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom should be experienced and almost like hit you in the head. It should hit you in, in the chest. It should hit you and you realize, wow, this is love like I've never known it before. This is the kingdom of love. So diametrically opposed, isn't it? To the kingdom of, of this world, the kingdoms of this world. It's all built on lust on power, on selfishness, on greed, on clutching and grabbing and taking. Look out for number one. If you don't take care of yourself, no one will. That's the principle of the kingdoms of this world. But Jesus comes and blows it all away, does something completely different. 
And he says, and he tells us to go in the same way that he's come to go. He says, as, I, as a father sent me, so I send you to go and make disciples. And then we saw that just as important as just not just doing these deeds of love, that right together with that, he says, my purpose was to bring, and this is what we looked at last week, the proclamation of the gospel. And we saw how, how important it is and the necessity of us for, to us for them to hear, for the captives to be set free and to be delivered. They must hear the gospel. They must hear what God has come to do in Jesus Christ. And because hearing, by, through hearing, they can believe. And upon believing, they, they receive the Lord Jesus Christ and their lives are transformed out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And it's so pivotal and important. But we also looked at, didn't we? We talked about the necessity of seeing and understanding and gaining the wisdom. When G- if you look at the life of Jesus, he just didn't proclaim the gospel everywhere. His proclamation was different than his personal conversation. And that's so important. Because we try to bring our, the proclamation of the gospel into our personal conversation of the, of the gospel and it messes things up. When we looked at Jesus' life, when he, when he had conversation with people in a personal manner, what did we see? We saw that this was filled with, he wasn't trying to close the deal. He wasn't trying to convert people. He wasn't trying to somehow get it all in or give his gospel presentation or get them to the point where they would invite him into their heart. That wasn't his goal at all. We saw that in conversation, a lot of times he would just, sometimes he'd ask a question or deliver a statement. Sometimes he would just agitate the water. Sometimes he would send people away scratching their heads. Sometimes he would just say a little bit, get in all kinds of conversations, especially with the woman at the well we saw, where it's kind of a little bit of a meandering. He starts off talking about living water, then he moves on to talking about her, these husbands that she no longer has, and then, and then they start talking about proper places of worship. And then it's done. And so we saw how important it is to distinguish, like if I'm in personal conversation, I don't try to make this an opportunity for, for proclamation. But yet we still need to have a place where proclamation is given. So we looked at that and the importance of these two going together. So we, we go out and we minister to the needs of people around us, as many as we can. And then we, and then we in conversation and, and the things that we have for them, we, we see where people are at because that's the other aspect we looked at. Right? We look, how are people responding? Do people, if you, you can't see where God is at work, and if you're not able to tell where he's at work, you end up wasting a lot of time. And Jesus never wasted time with people. He saw where they were at, and he moved on. Because he was looking for those who were responding to him. And those who responded to him, this is where we're headed to this morning. There were those who zealously responded to him. You look at Peter, and we saw how he contrasts the people of Nazareth. And the people of Nazareth in Luke 4, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. They hated him. Jesus didn't hang around and say, you know, could I just give one more presentation? Uh, those arguments didn't work. Can I use new ones? No. He moved on, it says. He moved to Galilee and watched the response. Peter right away invites him into his home. Peter takes him in and wants, and wants to know more. Peter's in love with this Jesus who's talking the way he's talking and he can't believe it. And so Jesus then, what Jesus do is he rec- does is he recognizes this and then he pursues them. And then we see, this is where we're getting to today. We see that Jesus now, that he wasn't just interested in making converts. Hey, let's just go around and see how many people will believe and just attract massive crowds. What he came to do was disciple to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And so this is where he is getting to, and what we're going to look at this morning is how did Jesus, now what does he do when he gets to the point where he sees these people responding to them, he then takes them to the next step and he brings them into a discipleship relationship. 
And here's, there, as you saw in your notes, the, the bottom two were scratching off. There are four major components to this discipleship that Jesus would enter into. And he was trying, one of the things he does, and we're going to look at the first thing, is that he wants them to simply follow him. And this is pivotal in discipleship. If you're going to disciple anyone, if you're going to be discipled, there needs to be following happening. There needs to be a sense of this person is walking and I'm watching the way they're walking. And the second thing that we'll note is that Jesus actually is very keen on helping them understand who God is. Because they need to know God. They need to know who he is. And you'll see that that's a, that's a fundamental aspect of his teaching. And then the other two components that we'll look at next week are the fact that Jesus is also concerned about them. They need to know who God is, who they are, and what their issues are, what their problems are, and then who, and then who they are in Christ. They need to know, sorry, they need to know who they are themselves, and then they also need to know, um, what was the fourth one? I I just blanked completely. What did I write down there? The world, yes. How the world functions and operates. Because if you don't understand how things happen in this world, often you misinterpret what's happening. Have you ever noticed that? God, what are you doing? One of our biggest complaints, one of our biggest stumbling blocks is not understanding how things function and work. Oh God, why did that person get cancer? That makes no sense. Oh God, why did that person die now? That makes no sense. And so if you don't understand how the world works, you often are tripped up in your faith and confused and you don't know what God is doing. So Jesus deals with that issue as well. So these four components, following is a necessity, understanding God, understanding yourself, and understanding your world. This is what, this is what discipleship was all about because Jesus knew that if you got to get this stuff straight or you, you, you do not trust God, you do not follow God, you do not walk with him and grow up into the image of Christ. So to begin with, I want us to look at this, uh, this whole aspect of following. Jesus modeled for his disciples the way to live. And the, if you turn to Luke chapter 5, well, you don't have to turn there because I'm actually just, I'm going to summarize it because it was read for us this morning. And as you'll recall in that passage in Luke chapter 5, 1 through 11, Jesus puts this call out to his disciples. He, he goes with Peter and James and John and gets in their fishing boat and they go and get this load of fish and they're just, they can, their minds are blown by what just Jesus just did. And then Jesus tells them, he says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And then in Matthew's account of the same event in chapter four, all the fishing details are, are not there. They don't talk about going out in the boat and catching all this fish. But Jesus said to them, this is the exact quote from Matthew 4, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. This whole idea of following me, just follow me. And if you look at the gospel of accounts, what you will, what do you note? That at first, his disciples aren't doing anything, are they? They're not doing a, a lick. He's doing all the ministry. Jesus is out ministering to the people, proclaiming the gospel. And then what they do is they come up to him afterwards and say, Jesus, why did you do this? What was that all about? What, what's going on here, there? And, and Jesus would come back and he, he, he would, they would ask him about when Jesus, when you gave that parable, what did you mean? And he would instruct them and teach them. So this was just a time for, Hey, all I want you to do, this is the deal. Just watch me. Just follow me. And if you have any questions, ask. 
And there's nothing greater in any discipleship than having the ability to see and follow after, right? To be model someone. You know, why do you think YouTube is such a big deal nowadays? Because we can be almost clueless about something. You know, you're going to fix the... Uh, the carburetor on your car, well, you just YouTube it, you know, watch the video a few times and go there and turn. Now, everybody's, raise your hand if you've used YouTube for like a how-to. Almost all of us, almost everybody in this room. I love YouTube for, for the how-tos, right? How do, how do you fix this? How do you fix that? How do you fix this? And, and then you watch it and you, and you walk, walk it through with it. Well, how important is it to see that? Now, back in the day, you didn't have YouTube. You had a book. You could go buy a manual somewhere. And that was difficult and frustrating because something about not being live. I wish I could. Could I see the motion you even use? I don't even understand that. Like, if you ever get information and then you go try to make some application and botch the whole thing, that's that's very typical because when you don't know what you're doing, it's a fearful step to going. Okay, I'm walking into the unknown, and anything could happen. I don't even I don't even know the problems. I don't even know uh, the details in any in any regard. I just walk into it completely blind. But we all love it when someone could say, "Hey, come follow me," or, or we say, "Could you show me how to do that? Could you show me?" And then when you see it, you're going, oh, okay, that's so helpful. Could you imagine if Jesus just said to the disciples, hey, we're all about making disciples. And I, so now that you're my disciples, I want you to go and uh, make disciples. I want you to go, I want you to go heal the sick, cast out demons, and proclaim the kingdom. They would all look at each other like, heal the sick, cast out demons? How do you do that? What is it? Like, do you what? What's the, you know? You don't even know the first step. Heal the sick. Do you walk up to somebody and say, "Be healed"? Um, do you do you put hands on them or you don't put hands on them? I don't know. It's like they, they'd be talking around. Uh, you could almost see the disciples thinking, "What is he? What, what do you do? Who, who, I'm not going first. You go first. No way, man. I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't know what to say. Okay, let's draw straws, and whoever goes the shortest straw has to go first. And then you just oh see them trying it and, and they're total failure and they'll come back saying well we're never doing that again, that was awful that was ridiculous but that wasn't the case was it? The, how long we don't know exactly how long but for quite a while they're watching Jesus every when he heals this blind person he watch how he put his hands on them and and the exact phraseology and they're watching every time and what he's doing they're taking notes and thinking about this and when they cast out a demon and and when he proclaimed the kingdom so when he tells them to go and heal the sick cast out demons and proclaim the kingdom they're not going oh no does anybody have a youtube video i have no idea they they know exactly what to do because they've followed him and all he wanted to do is watch them and now he could send them because they've, they've discussed it, they've watched it, they've analyzed it. They, they, they probably know even the exact words. I'm sure they're in their minds are saying, okay, what did he say again? He said, he said this, and then he said that, and then he said this. And, and apart from following Jesus and actually being with them, they couldn't have learned it. You know, and it's no different in our lives. If you, you, especially we see this with children. Children, if you've ever given them an, instru- an instruction and they've never seen you do it before, they, 
they are lost. It's a disaster. And then you can, and, and a lot of parents have usually assumed too much with their children. You assume they know and should, you should just get that. You know, you should have, I, well, I've never seen it. I don't know how to do it. And they, you know, how hard is it to fold a shirt? You don't throw it in a ball and put it in your, in your drawer. Uh, well, I don't know. It's like, you, you have to show them. And when they sh- you show them and you walk through it with them, they get to, to learn it. I, you know, this can't be emphasized too much. The fact that if you're going to disciple someone, if you're going to be discipled, you can't just go read a book. You need to see a life. As Paul would often say, follow my example. Watch me. Watch what I do. And so here's the, here's the thing. If you've ever noticed converts who just get converted and almost just left, they don't do so well. Have you noticed that? <laughs> failure is predominant. Massive failure. It's hard enough to, to become, learning how to walk as a Christian through life, even if you have an example to follow. But at least with an example, you know what to do. Now, we're in a weird age today for this very reason. Culturally, the world has not seen what we see with the urbanization of the world in these massive cities where you and I, we don't see each other throughout the week, right? Normally. You might, you know, could you just think of the people you've, you've ran into here shopping somewhere? Maybe once or twice, maybe never, right? We, we are in an age where it's, you talk about this kind of discipleship where it says, hey, come follow me, let's spend time together. It almost never happens. And it's one of the most major components of discipleship is actually seeing somebody. I, can, I can't tell you the profound difference in my own life. I was, when I first became a Christian, I, I, I struggled the first four years severely because I didn't have any really Christian fellowship. I didn't have any friends. I was in a really small town, and there was, there was like one other kid that I knew, similar to my age, who was a Christian, but his walk was highly suspect. And, and so all I, I spent all my times with my non-Christian friends, and, and I struggled, man. I, I was so confused, and I didn't know how to walk. I didn't know how to, what it meant to be a Christian even. I, I, and, and I'm slipping back into my old ways. I start talking like a trucker again. I know that's wrong, and, I, I'm, and I'm kind of repenting and back and forth and confused, and I'm doing things I shouldn't be doing, and I, and I hate myself, and I used to be able to enjoy that sin. I can't enjoy sin anymore. I was like, it feels to me like a living hell almost, because I remember getting upset with God. I was like, I... This stinks. <laughs> how is this, this Christian, how do you live this Christian life? But actually, before I became a Christian, I used to have actually some joy and pleasure in my sin, at least. I can't do that anymore. It's like now, I felt like everything now is gone for me. And what happened is I met a really good friend and a solid Christian. And this man, I could walk with and follow. And I can't overstate the difference in the impact it had in my walk with the Lord. It was profound. I, I felt like my life was just going taken off because we hung out all the time. He couldn't get rid of me. And it was, it was, he was married and had two kids and I was single and so I'm hanging out. 
and, and they did, thankfully they didn't mind me hanging out because I just about ate dinner there every night and <laughs> often I was, I was just around all the time and I loved being, hanging out with them and thankfully they enjoyed putting up with me. And I watched him, tre- how he treated his wife, how he treated the kids, how, how he responded to difficulty and struggle. I watched, and I watched so many things and I'm telling you, it impacted me deeply and changed my life. And I started making progress in the Lord and growing and maturing in ways that I never, ever experienced before that. It was dramatic. And so I'm here to tell you that it's like, it, it's essential. And we're in a, I don't have an answer right now. I really feel a little bit of confusion in the urbanization of the world we live in and how hard it is for us to walk with one another. And spend time together. Cause you have to spend time. You just have to like, you gotta put in the hours. <laughs> you, cause you gotta see people in different environments. What's he like when he smashes his thumb? What's, what's he like when things don't go his way? What's he like when, uh, someone gets a little nasty with him? How does he respond? How does he treat the people? Oh, these things are all important, right? Because it's otherwise it's just theory in your head. But when you see somebody and they respond in a certain way and they act a certain way and it has an impact in our lives, a dramatic impact. And sometimes, well, most of the time, you can't even explain to the person the impact they're having because you don't really know how to articulate it. And so in our day and age, I am uh, I'm a little bit confounded other than the fact that I think what we have to do is we have to go after relationships. If you see someone that you want to emulate, you want your life to be like theirs, do whatever you can to get next to them. This friend of mine, I I hope I was close to bothering him probably because I was I wanted to be around him and I just wanted and I and I tried to find every excuse to do it. And I think it's really it's it's almost going to come down to that because if you don't aggressively work at getting people in your life or having you having you're getting yourself involved in their life, it's not going to happen. It just isn't. And I've been around these parts long enough to know, no, that kind of discipleship, it takes a lot of work and effort. You really got to be committed to saying, you know what, this is way too important. Way too important for my life. I've got to get involved in certain, if these, I want to be like that person and I really need to do everything I can to try to get close to that person. And that's all I can do is just encourage you in that direction because, uh, apart from that, I mean, you can, we can try setting up programs, but it's not the same thing. It's not the same as watching and following someone. So that's, that, that's, that's fundamental. That's, if you're going to disciple someone and just think of your kids, the best example of it, and, uh, Praise be to God that we still have the family. Because within the family, at least a kid grows up for like 18 years, for the most part, watching. And and hopefully what you're saying is lining up with what you're doing. (laughs) Because uh, if it's not, your kids hate hypocrisy. All of us hate it. And that's easy to do when you want them to be something that you're not. You desperately want them to be so much better, right? You want this for them, but I'm right here. And they see that. So that's the thing. I mean, the problem is, is that we have parents now who they need to be discipled and they need to watch other people and how they do it so that they can grow up in the Lord. But it's, uh, it's one of those things that we really have to be committed to because it's so pivotal and fundamental in all discipleship. Yet we have a, 
I say we have the biggest uphill battle in our age. It's bigger than any other age has ever faced because of the way we, we live. The other thing that's so important and pivotal in discipling someone is understanding God. Jesus taught his disciples the truth about who God is. Throughout Jesus' discipleship, he was attempting to set his disciples straight on who the Father was, because this would mess with their heads, and who the Son was and who the Spirit was. If you turn in your Bibles to uh, John chapter 14, because we'll see something in John 14 through 17, is it's really probably the clearest picture that we have of Jesus articulating the, Father, the relationship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you also have to understand that this is going to blow these Jews' minds. Do you realize that, you know, their articulation of who is God? God is Yahweh. They love the Lord, your Lord, Lord your God. The Lord is one. The Lord is one. They grew up, if you read your Old Testament, you start to see and understand their understanding of God. He is Yahweh, and Yahweh is one. There's only one God. There is no other God but one God. One God. And now Jesus, he bends their heads because this is starting to bust them apart. And it, he's saying things that don't comport with that strict idea. Look at John 14, verses 8 through 11. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. As they're talking, Jesus talks about the Father all the time. He talks about himself as the Son. And, and, and Philip's curiosity is just killing him. <laughs> he would just, we've seen the Son. It would be real. I'd love to see the Father. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus here was telling him to say, listen, if you've seen the Father, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and I'll tell you how, because they're, it's an identical image. We, I am, I just like the Father. In fact, the Father's in me right now, and the things that I speak are from the Father. And if you don't believe what I'm saying, just look at what I've done. You can't do what I've done unless you're God. You have, this is the works of God. You're not gonna, you're not gonna be speaking to creation the way I have. And it obeys you like that. You're not going to be raising the dead. You're not going to be casting out demons and they run from you. You're not going to be doing any of these works that I've done. If, if you don't believe anything I'm saying right now, just go back. You've seen a lot, Philip. And just believe on the account of the works themselves. The works themselves are declaring to you. They're saying, hello, you have God in your midst. God is at work. And this was a revolutionary to these guys. He's starting to tell them that the Father, there's this Father and the Son, and the Father and the Son are one. I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. We're one. Oh, okay. Wow. So so if I'm seeing the Son, am I seeing the Father? Yeah. Because we're one. 
We're one, and, and this is where you can also look at where Jesus, he's articulated even in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What? Right out of the gate is telling them and instructing them about who God is. You, you knew God as Yahweh, and the revelation you had about God in the Old Covenant was limited. It wasn't full. It wasn't complete. It was very limited. There were just aspects that you were learning and discovering, but there was so much of God you didn't know. But now let me inform you. Let me, I'll take you now. Here's the one God. Let's go inside the one God. And now we see that there's Father, there's Son, and we see there's also Holy Spirit. Even Paul, he, is, he declares who Jesus is in Colossians 1. He says, he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him and all things were created in heaven and earth. By him, all things were created in heaven and earth. Visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things are held together. And he's talking about Jesus. But not only does Jesus want them that you have to get and understand God, that there's the Father, there's the Son, and now that there's this, the Holy Spirit. And John 14 is where he begins his teaching on the Holy Spirit. If you look at verses 15 through 20, Jesus says this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he, listen to this, for he dwells with you and will be in you. What's he referring to there? He's saying right now, he's actually, you don't realize this, but he's with you right now. He's with us. The Spirit is with us, and he's with you. But there's coming a day, and we know what happens in Acts chapter 1, that he will actually be in you. This is the great promise of Joel 2. It's coming. This is what's going to come. You're going to come, and you're going to experience something pretty profound and amazing. So he'll be, and he'll be with you forever. He will come to you. Yet, uh, no, he says this, uh, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Now he's like, this is really strange because he's talking about the Spirit coming to him, and now he switches, he talks about himself coming to him. Well, which is it? You said the Spirit's going to come to him. And he says, no, and I will come, I'll not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Are you kidding me? You just finished talking about a union and communion that you and the Father has. You said, I am in him. You just told us, Jesus, that he is in you and you are in him. There's a union and communion that you have. You and the Father are one. And now you're telling me what's going to happen is the Spirit's going to come and dwell in me and so that I am in you and you are on me. Now you're talking the exact same language that you, you were referencing earlier about you and the Father. Jesus, are you saying somehow we're going to be pulled into the union and communion of the triune God? I mean, they wouldn't use the word triune. <laughs> of God? Yes. Yes, this is what's going this is pretty mind-blowing and profound. You have to understand that God, this is like the Holy Spirit, the helpers coming from God, and Jesus said he's from the Father and the Son is going to come to you, and he's actually going to dwell in you, and then I will be in you, and you will be in me, as I am in the Father. Wow. This, this, this must have just busted their heads. You're talking deep stuff here, Jesus. Who's capable of 
comprehending what you're just saying. Because right after this, Jesus, actually there's a disciple, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, the Bible says the other Judas, asked Jesus in John 14, 22 through 23, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? I'm confused. You said the world won't see you, but or we'll see you or we'll know you. What, what is what are you talking about? I don't get this. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. What? Father and the Son are going to dwell with us, in us, make our home in you. How, how, how's this going to happen, Jesus? Well, we know that the Spirit comes. And where the Spirit is, Jesus is. So much so that in Scripture it says, Jesus says, I dwell in you. Well, no, you said the Spirit dwells in me. Yeah, I know, but the Spirit and I are one. So I can say, I dwell in you, or the Spirit dwells in you. Same thing. Why? We're one. So when I, the Spirit dwells in you, the Father also dwells in you, and so does the Son. That's why I can say, the Father, I and the Father will come to you. Now you're busting my brains. How is this working? Because th- this, these Jews did not have a framework to even hear this. They, they, they didn't think of God this way. And so Jesus is, is instructing them so that they understand. You have to understand not God in all of his greatness, but you have to understand God in all of his greatness is dwelling in you. This is fundamental. In all discipleship, you have to know that God is dwelling in you. And Jesus goes on to talk in in, uh, chapter 15, verse 26, to say this, When their helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And then over in chapter 16, verses 7 to 8, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, he says, listen, it's it's... It's really good that I leave. And they're, they're probably going, what are you talking about? How's it good that you leave? <laughs> Would you imagine sitting there, the Lord of glory, Jesus the Christ? It's good that you leave? Because, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus throughout this section must have been completely hurting their brains because this was so new. But he knows that they have to understand this is a pivotal truth. You have to know the God and you have to know that God dwells in you. I'm going to do this is going to be amazing. This is going to be profound. But in your spirit, the Spirit of God will come and they'll unite. And so there will be union and communion with God in your spirit. And anybody who's ever come to that place of knowing and understanding and, and realizing what's happened to them, it's pretty dramatic. They realize that, that God dwells in me. <laughs> Whoa. And I've talked about this recently, um, about God and the fact that this is pivotal in understanding our power and our walk in life. Us, us obeying the Spirit, submitting to the Spirit, walking according to the Spirit, this is our power. We have God with us. We need to stop talking as if that somehow God, and, and this, it, this ought to bust your head in this way. Stop thinking about God up in heaven. 
far away that I must pray and I hope my prayers reach him. Because yes, God in all of his glory, the Father, there's a sense in which his glory is, is in heaven. But understand, this is one of the fundamental things we have to understand in our discipleship, is that God, by the Spirit, dwells in us. Because when you know that, when you understand that, and when you walk in that, it changes the way you live. And we looked at this, remember back when we were talking about the power to be on mission. And if you look at the Corinthians, he knew that they have to understand. The reason they're meddling around in sin and doing what they're doing, he knows that, don't you, do you not understand that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? That you're one spirit with the Lord? That he dwells in you? That you're not your own, but he possesses you? You are a temple? That's, that changes everything. It's like, God, when you're aware, if you become aware of his presence, and his presence in you, it's like, take off the shoes on the ground in which you stand. This is holy ground. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's profound. And that's why we have to, and we have to remember this and be reminded of this. You guys and myself, I couldn't be preached this enough. Oh man, I keep forgetting. <laughs> yes, that's true. The truth must come and be declared to us, and we have to be reminded of this often. I can't believe how I have to be reminded even of who my God is. This morning, reading Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 104, praising God, I was like, I could have read that yesterday, and it was just ministering to me, but my God is awesome. He's glorious. He's big. He controls everything. He is, he is above all, all things. He created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And I need to hear that all the time. And man, I hear it and I, my spirit comes alive and I'm just like, yes, yes, my God reigns. My God is awesome. And I, and I go like, yeah, and it starts to affect me. And I'm like, I need to please, please tell me this often. Please remind me because tomorrow, you know what I need? I need to remember that my God is awesome. I need to remember that my God is over all things. I need to remember that my God, he, he cares for his creation and he sustains it all and upholds it all because I get, you know what you get week in and week out? So much garbage from the world and from the press and they act and all of them talk like there's no God in heaven. It's all doom and gloom, chicken little everywhere and it affects your spirit. It affects you. And you can put it off, put it off, but it's it's draining, man. It's so draining. Go back to the Word, and it's like you just got centered. Bam! My God is on His throne. My God reigns. My and and you just you start to feel the confidence. Like, yes, I'm right now. I'm I'm ready to live. I'm ready to live and realize it. And and then I'm I'm now I'm ready to laugh at the world. Are you kidding me? You chicken littles, you talking this, crash here, this is going to fall, and if we don't do this, this is over. You know, the environmentalists are screaming, trying to put you in terror that the world is going to end if we don't change our ways right now. Oh, maybe. That's a joke. This is my God's world, right? He owns it, rules it, governs it, top to bottom. He created it, and he laughs at the nations. And here's, I can't wait to get to the section where we have to, when we understand how the world works. He just loves, this is, he gets, I think he, he must get a belly laugh over this. Because when he, he's the only one who could take things that seem so bleak, so bad, so wrong, so unjust, so wicked, and, and he says, watch, watch what I'm gonna do. I have, you, it's so troublesome to you because you have no ability to turn it upside down. 
You have no ability to take the works of Satan and use them for your own good. But I do. That's what I do. When you understand the God we serve and how he works functions in this world, all of a sudden you begin to smile. You begin to smile even at adversity. Hear hear these words from one glorious, beautiful old saint who said this, God knows best what is needful for us. And all he, he does, all he does is for our good. If we knew how much he loves us, we should always be ready to receive equally and with indifference from his hand the sweet and the bitter. All would please that came from him. The sorest afflictions never appear intolerable except when we see them in the wrong light. When we see them as dispensed by the hand of God, when we know that it is our loving Father who abases and distresses us, our sufferings will lose their bitterness and become even a matter of consolation. End quote. Beautiful. There's a man who knew his God. can't stress the importance of this. We have to know our God. We have to know him. We have to know who he is and what he's done, and we have to be reminded about this so often. You have to know his love so that, here's the thing, could you imagine the maturity, knowing so deeply his love that no matter what suffering and distress or, or horrible circumstance came our way, you would see that it's from your loving Heavenly Father who controls all things, and you would know he works this out for my good, and I know it. I'm convinced of it. This is for my good. That's a, that takes maturity and understanding who your God is and being convinced of his love. Because if you think he's loving and delivers any, everything from his hand for our good out of love for us, it changes everything. It changes the suffering, the affliction, and what comes upon us. It changes it. And as we, the idea is that as we grow and as we mature in our understanding of God, that's where we get to. Here's an old saint who says, yeah, when you know how much he loves you, when you know it and you understand it, you've grown in your understanding of God, it changes these things. And now even your own sufferings can become a consolation that he loves you. My God loves me. And I'm so thankful that uh, he doesn't, he doesn't, my own personal life, he doesn't treat me as a non-son, but treats me as a son. And how do I know this? I know this most by the discipline in my life. I actually used to think that the discipline in my life was somehow God was against me, that God didn't like me, and somehow, what am I doing wrong? Everybody around me seems to be doing so much better, have so much more. I was that's garbage. That's not how that works. My God loves me, and this is proof that he loves me. He will not let me go. Because if he didn't discipline, if he didn't bring this stuff into my life, I know know what I'd do. I would depart from him. He loves me too much. So if we're going to disciple, what do we need to do? We need to be following, and we need to have people following us. It's, It's essential for discipleship. They've got to see it modeled. 
And another component that we have to get straight almost on a daily basis, we have to grow in and get deep in and really come to grips with, is the fact that the Father, our God, loves us, and he is with us, and he is in us by the Spirit. We have to understand, we have to know our God. We have to know who he is and what he's done for us. Knowing him is essential. So may that be the case. May we understand and apply this even in our discipleship, discipleship even of our children and the people around us. This is essential. Amen. Father, we're thankful and we praise you for your word. We praise you that you are our God and we are your people. We praise you that you are enthroned in heaven, that you control all things, that you're above all things, that you, by your word, decree all things, that you are our God and that you love us and you save us and you protect us and you discipline us and you treat us as children. Father, please have mercy on us and allow us to find people that we can follow and get close to, that we be hungry to follow and model, and that we'd be hungry to know you. Open our eyes. Help us to see and know who you are, for we ask this in Jesus. Amen.